Aaron Roy is going to be teaching this morning. As many of you know, our lead pastor, Pastor Albert, is on sabbatical this summer, and so we've been working our way through the book of Genesis, but we're taking a pause from that today and next Sunday to have a couple of good friends with us. One of those is Aaron. Aaron is a pastor of a church called Living Hope Neighborhood Church in Richmond, California. He's been there since about 2009, and we've been in partnership with him for the last three or four years. It's been my privilege to get to know Aaron over the last year. We were in a program called Soul Care, which is a thing that's sort of created to invest in the lives of pastors. Albert shared about it a little bit. You've probably heard me talk about it a little bit, but just a really rich time. And it was great to get to know him in that experience and to see some of the things that God was doing through that in his life. And he's got, I think, some really great things to share with us this morning. So please welcome Pastor Aaron Roy as he shares today. What's up, y'all? It's been a couple years since I've been here. So for those of you who haven't seen me before, hello. Those that I do know and have seen, good to see you again. As Pastor Steve said, I'm a pastor in Richmond, California. And I just want to say as we open up that he had alluded to this, but Regen has been a really, really important partner for what God is doing in Richmond. You guys have prayed for me, as well as the church there, as well as you have also supported us financially. And that has been huge, as we've had a heart to reach people that no one else, per se, wanted to reach. And to reach those who the Bible calls maybe the least of these. Your sacrificial giving, your prayers, has kept us there and maintained us and sustained us. So I just want to say thank you for your partnership. Some of you are like, yeah, I didn't even know that. But yeah, it's true. It's true. You guys are a big part of what we're doing there. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump in God's word. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that as we look at your word, Father, that you would give us eyes to see you afresh, that you would give us ears to hear you, in a new way, and that you would give us hearts that are softened to receive what you have for us. Let it be so, Lord, for the glory of your name and the joy of your people. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. Let me start off by reading a quote by J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase. It is the revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. You sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge well how a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship or her worship and prayers and his whole outlook of life, it means that he or she does not understand Christianity very well at all." End quote. Let me first start off by saying, if understanding the fatherhood of God is the criteria by which our understanding of Christianity is measured, according to J.I. Packer, then I will start off by saying, I have a long, long way to go. 
If understanding the fatherhood of God is the measure of our Christianity, I will say again, I have a long, long way to go because I want to confess to you this morning that the fatherhood of God has been a rough experience for me. There's been stages in my life where I run to it. There's been stages in my life where I've run away from it. And really, this thought has been in my head since I've been a Christian. And it's just been this idea, and it's from my own brokenness, but I've often said, I kind of believe that God loves me. I just don't know that he likes me. For me, one of the hardest things for my fallen, broken human heart to believe is that God loves me. And you might think, well, you're a pastor. You should know that, right? <laughs> well, I'm on a journey. And I think that really, if we're honest, all of us are trying to grasp how deep, how wide the love of God is for us. On some days, it's really good, and we embrace it, and we're there. Yet there's other days, whether it's because of our sin or it's because of bad things happening in our life, we question the goodness of God, the love of God, and the fatherhood of God. And of course, we don't say it out loud often, but yet inwardly, we are raging. You know, for me, my story is that I grew up without a father. And so to this day, my father here on earth is a stranger. So I know that has shaped my relationship with God. And I always say that I have sort of what they call an orphaned heart. And it's a dangerous heart to have an orphaned heart. It's often filled with manipulation. It's often filled with trying to guard myself. But yet, at the end of the day, I'm on a journey, and it's growing, and I'm beginning to believe that God not only loves me, he likes me. And to be able to tell others that has been a great privilege. As Pastor Steve mentioned, he and I were in soul care, and the reason why I took soul care, was a part of soul care, was for this very reason. I wanted someone to help me explore deeply the love of God and the fatherhood of God. I wanted someone to help me understand that. I've been in full-time ministry now for 16 years. And yet I can honestly say, brothers and sisters, that has been, as I mentioned, a soft sort of sore spot for me. But I don't really think it's just me. I really don't. I know some of you may be like, oh, man, this guy is jacked up. But actually, I think many Christians are not sure of the love of God. And they're really exasperated by God. It seems for not just me, I think for many of us that God sometimes just tolerates us. Sometimes we view God as just this cosmic landlord who's just letting us live here. And the way that we pay rent is by our good deeds and by not messing up. So I think that oftentimes we are ignorant of this idea of the fatherhood of God. And part of this is because of the fall. Every one of us in this room are affected by the fall. When Adam believed a lie and Eve believed a lie, from there on we have had this skewed relationship with God. We have had this skewed view of who God really is. So I'm on this journey, and I'm trying to discover what it means to have God as my father. And I want to share some things in Scripture that are really helping me right now as we speak. It's helping me. So today I want to do two things. 
I want to explore this idea of God as Father in Scripture and talk about the significance that it has in changing our life and our thinking. And then I want to use a passage that will encourage us with the love and the fatherhood of God. So I want to explore this idea and how it's played out in Scripture through a passage. And then I also want to finally encourage us with the love and the fatherhood of God through another passage. So there are two main passages. There is Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And then there's also 1 John 3, 1 through 3. So Matthew 3, 16 and 17, that will be the first passage that we look at. And this, we're going to explore what is the scriptural basis and the significance for the fatherhood of God. And here's what it says in Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want to explore this a little bit as we look at the significance of the fatherhood of God. Now, Matthew 1 through 3, let me just give us sort of a quick overview. Actually, I want to start with even looking at the Old Testament because coming into the New Testament, we're still left wondering a lot of things. There are a lot of things that are not done. There was a Messiah introduced to us early in Genesis 3.15, but yet that Messiah has not come after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years so as we enter into the New Testament, we're still left with these questions like, who is God and who are his people? And immediately we are introduced in Matthew chapter 1 to a son, a very special son, a promised one. That's what the genealogy is about, a promised son. And this son was to be born under harsh conditions. And then we get to chapter 2 is the worship of this son. Remember the wise men, the magi, or whatever you want to call them, come and they worship this son. And then we get to chapter 3 in our text, and this son is now all grown up. And this is where we get our amazing passage. So when we come into the New Testament, God is revealing himself in this new way by saying, I am a father and I have a son. This is how the New Testament opens up. God is a father and he has a son. This is the theme that begins to take root in the New Testament. So think about this. After 400 years of silence, per se, between the Old and the New Testament, and there were all these things going on, misconceptions about God, misconceptions about the law, misconceptions about our relationship with God. 400 years of silence, and then God bursts on the scene with this glorious declaration that is this, I am a father. I want us to think about that as we delve into this, that God is a father. And he has a son. And in the book of Matthew, the idea of father or that title is referred to 44 times. 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone. The divine fatherhood meant a lot to Matthew. 
Now, don't get me wrong. In the Old Testament, God was sometimes called Father, but rarely. If you do a concordance search, it's actually rare that God calls himself Father in the Old Testament. It happened, but it wasn't characteristic of how God was revealing himself. But as the arrival of Jesus starts, it changes everything. A lot of emphasis on the theme of family begins to emerge, a father and a son. Now, for us as Christians, we're sort of accustomed to saying father, right? We call God Father all the time, but we need to stop and realize and reflect on this sort of revolutionary thinking about God. Even other faiths don't view him in this way. And even as we enter into the New Testament, it seems like this relatively new idea. And it's certainly new in the grand redemptive plan of history. All those years in the Old Testament, God revealing himself in a certain way. And then now we get to the New Testament. He says with a glorious declaration, I am a father. How can this be? How can God who created all things be want us to relate to him as a father? Isaiah 57, 15. This is the God who is now saying I want you to see me as father. And it says, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This Old Testament God is now entering the New Testament and saying, relate to me as a father. And it's such a drastic transition. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself as what? Yahweh. Which means Jehovah Lord, the great I am. This was to announce that he was the greatest reality, the most real being that ever existed. One man said it like this, that this name meant that he was the underlying cause of all causes and all events. And in the Old Testament, this name Yahweh was to evoke praise and reverence. It was to cause us a small creation in relation to its creator to bow down and humbly worship. And so the name Yahweh was meant to make us know and understand just how small we are. It was a reminder that we were treading on holy ground. And as we approach God, we better be careful. It was almost a dividing word in that it showed the otherness of God. And it kept us at bay in some ways. And then the New Testament comes and we see God automatically again reveal himself as a father. He is still the holy, almighty God who deserves all reverence and fear, but he is now going out of his way to say, I'm also a father. Now for me, as I shared with you, that is a hard thing for me to grasp. I actually liked a God who just told me what to do. There was a part of me because of my brokenness and my fatherlessness growing up that I liked a sort of distant God almost. But yet when I became a Christian and God began to reveal to me that he was my father, that was kind of hard for me. And I, probably for some of you, depending on your story. And I get that. But here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't leave us to delve into our good or bad conceptions of a father. He reveals what he is as a father. 
So this biblical view of God in the New Testament begins to root out our misconceptions and pains of fatherhood and introduces us to fatherhood that is real and life-giving and that can change our life. This is so important for my journey. Again, when you even say father now, I cringe. But yet, as God in his mercy is showing me as his son that he's a loving father, it has been a great journey. I'm messed up, I am jacked up, but yet God's goodness and grace as a father has been so important. And we have to see that this father is an agent of love that lavishes his love upon his children. And we must not let our story of what the word father means define for us what God as our father is. You know, let me just say this, and then I do want us to sort of continue through this. Let us not let our brokenness define God. We have to understand that every one of us in this room is guilty of this. That our brokenness defines God for us. And the beautiful patient thing about God is that he is renewing our mind. He is transforming us by teaching us how to think about himself, ourselves, and how we even view each other. But let us not fall into the trap that I've been in for so many years of letting my own brokenness define who God is. And not only do we have our own story and our brokenness, but for many of us in the West, we have a Bible brokenness. A misconception about God in the Old Testament and versus the New Testament. So we're dealing with our own misconceptions and our own brokenness, but also false teaching or false learning of the Bible. For example, oftentimes we think of the Old Testament and we think of God in the Old Testament. and He's just this sort of mean, all-powerful tyrant who doesn't tolerate anyone or anything and he wipes out people. And then we get to the New Testament, and then there's the nice God, Jesus, who sort of hides us from the Old Testament God. See, that isn't true either, and that also paints a picture of how we relate to God as Father. God the Father is the angry one, and Jesus is the nice one. That is not true. We must see God as Father as he reveals himself as Father in Scripture. For example, John 3, 16 and 18, a very familiar verse that many of you learned when you were in like grade school or like four years old for some of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? We know that. But when we really look at that, what does that say? It takes away this notion that God is a tyrant who doesn't care and Jesus is the one who loves. It says, but God the Father so loved the world that he acted and he gave his only son. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And according to God the Father's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, God the Father is the loving Father, and he always has been, and he is the one who initiates his love for his people by sending forth his Son. So we can't let our story or our misconceptions of the Old and New Testament somehow taint our view of God as our Father. Romans 5.8, God the Father shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you see, Jesus did come on the scene and he began to take away the misconceptions. He'd altered forever the way that we think about God. God is a Father and our sin has tainted that view of him. But God wants us to see in the very first chapter of the New Testament that this is who he is. And understanding this dictates everything about our life. So when we look at our passage again in Matthew 3, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The very first words of God in the New Testament now, granted, he spoke through angels when they visited Mary and they visit, but this is him himself. The heavens open up and he declares his fatherhood. And what's interesting is that God here is quoting two different passages. He's combining them. Psalm 2-7 says, I will tell to the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. So he's quoting Psalm 2-7. He's also combining Isaiah 42-1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nation. So they show this divine declaration of who Jesus is, even in what God is saying, God the Father. Psalm 2 is about a coming Messiah. So we know that Jesus is the coming Messiah, even as God recites his own words to him. And then Isaiah 42, 1 is about the suffering servant. And so we see a Messiah who will suffer and die. And that is indicated by even what God says to his son. He is the son and God is his father. And notice here that he says in verse 17 that he is well pleased. Isaiah 42 says, in whom my soul delights. Isn't that a cool picture to think that when God, now we can picture this with Jesus, but now I want us, and here in a second, I want to picture it with us, but think of that first sight of Jesus who was about to go on this mission where he knew, even in God's declaration from the heavens, he knew that he was the Messiah. He also knew he was about to suffer. And yet God looks at him after all the years of redemptive history where they had went bad and man had failed and sin had separated us from God. He looks at Jesus and says, wait a second. Now this guy is my beloved son and I am pleased with him. You know, the gospel truth that I've been wrestling with 
lately is this, that when God looks at me, he looks at me just like he did Jesus and says, that's Aaron, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, put your name in there. Because of what Christ has done as the Messiah, the Savior, and the suffering servant, he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we deserved. This Messiah who suffered because of what he did and our trust in what he did, when God the Father looks at you and I, if we have put our trust in him, he says, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And we say that and it brings joy to our heart. But at the end of the day, I'm not the only one here who struggles with that idea. Because I, again, mess up every single day. And my sin sort of taints my view of God. And when I think of God looking at me on my worst day, where I'm a horrible father, an impatient father, and an impatient, grouchy husband, I'm not thinking that when God looks at me, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I would venture out to say that many of you struggle with that as well. But the reality of the gospel truth that we must wrestle with when we talk about the fatherhood of God is that because of what Jesus has done, when he looks at you and I, he said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. We are now the perfect children of God and he views us just like he views his son, Jesus. We are what the Bible calls adopted. Ponder those two words for a second. Justification and adoption. The idea that we, justification, have been declared not guilty before God. We are now righteous before God. We are made right with him. And this is good. That God has made a way for the unrighteous to be righteous. And as crazy as it is for us to believe that, it is still even harder for me to believe that not only did God justify me, but he adopted me. He brought me into his family. So here we have this great cosmic truth that a holy God is now in right relationship with us. That's amazing. But we also have this idea of adoption, the fatherhood of God. That we are the family of God. And to be right with the God who is the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. I want us to think about the fact this morning that because of Christ, and I know I've said this before, but I'm going to repeat a lot of things because I'm still in process. So I'm trying to convince myself. So I want us to really think about the fact that because of what Jesus has done, when God the Father looks at you, he sees a perfect child who has done no wrong. A perfect child who is forgiven that his soul delights in. And for many of us, again, we wrestle with that concept. 
But adoption, that idea is meant to convince you of God's love for you. Adoption means that you are wanted by God the Father. He doesn't just tolerate you. He actually desires you. And if you don't understand, and if I don't understand this idea of adoption, guess what? Our faith, our walk, our Christianity is filled with legalism and despair and condemnation and frustration. And some of us in this room, that describes our relationship with God. We are on a spiritual hamster wheel. And we are running and running and running and we are exhausted. And yet God is saying, rest for a second and receive the fact that when I look at you, you don't have to do anything else. It is finished. All Christians are to be certain that they are loved by God. But you cannot look within yourself, for there is nothing there but sin and self-righteousness. So let us not navel-gaze, so to speak. We must look to God and praise Him and exalt His name and drink deep of His promises. And let me ask you this question. Are you more weary of your sin than you are aware of God's love for you? That's how a great question to determine, do we know God as Father? Let me ask you again, are you more weary of your sin than you are aware of God's love for you? For me, for many years it's been, I'm more concerned and weary of the fact that I am a sinner than I am more aware of his love for me as my Father. And so many of us Christians live under quiet condemnation that we are somehow trying to appease God still. And that is not Christianity. That is not the fatherhood of God. He has called us to be children of God and set us free. So I want to draw in our second point. That is sort of the significance of the fatherhood and how it emerges in the Bible and the New Testament. Now I want to draw you guys away from self-examination because some of us are doing that right now because of what we've done this week. I want to draw us away from that and I want to push us towards a Christ examination. So 1 John 3, 1 through 3 is our last passage. And this is just encouragement in the fatherhood of God. The first part, again, the significance of it and how it emerges in the Bible, but now encouragement in the fatherhood of God. I only got about five, six minutes here. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved Notice the language, Matthew 3. This is my beloved son. Now we are the beloved. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. You see, John the Apostle gets swept away in verse 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. 
It is this loud declaration. John is astonished. He is amazed. He is thrilled with the reality that we are the children of God. He starts out by saying, see, (laughs) my kids do that all the time. When something crazy happens or when they tell me something's going to happen and it does happen, they're like, see, Dad, I told you. And this is what John is doing. He's overwhelmed and he's saying, see, listen, look, behold, pay close attention to what kind of love the Father has given us. That phrase, what kind of love, in the original Greek, is pretty amazing. In the classic Greek, it means to be from something foreign or something alien, something that is inexplicable in our terminology. So when he says, see what kind of love, one guy said it like this, look, 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 there is a love that is utterly unknown to us. It is not at all like human love. It is alien. It is a love that human experience doesn't know. It is a love that is outside of us, above us, and beyond us. That is what John is saying about the fatherhood of God, that it is rooted in a love that is just bananas and bonkers and crazy. We don't even understand it. We have a God who loves us with a love that is foreign to anything we would know. See what kind of love the Father has for us? It's unearthly. It's astonishing. He uses the word agape here. One guy quoted it like this. He says, agape is the word for the love of the will. It's not the erotic love. It's not the affectionate love that is elicited by a friendship or by love between a man or a woman or friends. It's not the family kind of love that's normal between parents and children. It's the love of the will. It's the love that basically loves because it chooses to love. It is the love of choice. It is spontaneous. It is self-giving. And it has its greatest expression. God the Father loves us in this way. And John looks at that and says, this alien love, look at it, see, behold it. This love the Father has bestowed on us. What kind of love is this? Where did it come from? It came from the Father. And it is foreign. It is not earthly. The source and the origin is heavenly. And God is the initiator of this love. And John, struck by this in closing, says we should be called the children of God. And so we are. It's almost like he had to remind himself again, like I'm trying to do even as I stand before you. I'm reminding myself afresh, just like John says, we are the children of God. And then he says, and we are emphatically. Some of us just need to be reminded of that today, that we are the children of God. And that's very encouraging to me. It's very comforting to me in my brokenness and my father, daddy issues, that he has loved me when I was a sinner and undeserving. He loved me when I was a stranger and a foreigner. He loved me when I was alienated from him. He loved me when I was his enemy. He made me his child. That is very comforting for me. Verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and that what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
He says, look, not only does he love you with this amazing love that can't be put into human words, but he says there's coming a time where this Christ is going to come and we're going to see him face to face and there will be a place where this divine love of the Father will be experienced perfectly. This idea of heaven and the renewal of all things, a place where we see Christ, a place where we'll be sinless like Christ. And we will experience the love of God and the worship of God without our tainted views of who he is. That's what I long for, brothers and sisters, to be honest. I'm tired of worshiping God sometimes. Maybe this is just me. I know I'm over two minutes, but just hear me out. I am tired of worshiping God, even in that seat right there. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God, I just want to worship you. And I begin to do that. And God is so good and gracious. But then all of a sudden, some thought or insecurity or, man, is the pot roast burning or whatever comes into my head. And I'm like, dang it. And then you try to refocus. Okay, God, I'm ready to worship you now. And then we wrestle with our flesh and our insecurities and our lack of clarity with God, even as we worship worship but there will come a time brothers and sisters when we will stand before the father and there will be nothing in our way and we will experience him as he intended and we will love him and there will not be thoughts of a burning pot roast in the crock pot there will not be thoughts of insecurity or I wonder if anyone's going to like me when I preach it will be true identity and fellowship with our Lord We need to think about this all the time. How do we grow in this understanding of the fatherhood of God? We need to be reminded. We need to do as John says, behold and look, pay attention to it. And then also we need to think about the final resting place, heaven. Started out reading a quote that basically says a litmus test for our faith is our understanding of God as father. And if we want to grow as Christians, if we want to grow in this truth, we must dive into it. And it's scary for me and it's scary for some of you. We must go deep into this idea of God as our father. And this is what changes us. Some of us are trying to change ourselves by our obedience. That's the spiritual hamster wheel. And this never works. It's about first realizing that we are sons and daughters of God. And then as grateful heirs and children, we gladly obey our Father. For some of us, we are so numb right now in our walk with God. We have become frustrated with God in our inability to live as he desires us to live. For some of us, we just need to step back and quit trying to do and learn just to be. So today, I want us to just ponder this foreign idea in our culture. We're going to ask God to give us faith to believe that he is our father and that he is not mad at us. We're going to rest in our identity as children of God. We aren't going to do anything. That's foreign to us because some of you are like, okay, I get that. Now, what do I do? Nothing. It's been done for you. Rest in it. What would it look like daily if we began to declare to ourselves, I am God's beloved son. I am God's beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. That's growing in your Christian faith. 
That's what it means to grow in grace, is daily reminding ourselves that even on our worst day, when God looks at us, he sees his child in whom his souls delight. Let me pray, and the worship team will come on up. Father, thank you for the scary truth that you are our Father. And I pray, God, that our brokenness and our misconceptions about who you are in Scripture will not define you as Father. Father, we are children in desperate need to be affirmed by you. We are children who need to know that you're not angry at us, that we are not your stepchildren, so to speak, but we are the children of God. So, Father, would you help us in our unbelief? Would you help us in our doubts? And may we grow in grace today. Instead of trying to do and earn and appease, may we live a life of continual rest in the fact that because of what Jesus has done, we are your beloved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.